Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, and not just because we don't have anything else to do this morning, so we come here just to fill time, but this is a place, a very special place for all of us. This is a place of birth. This is a place of sustenance and encouragement. In a world that seems to be out of control, this is a place where we can come and we can see reason. We can see logic. And we can, we can adjust our psyche, so to speak, and how we think. And we can be in tune with God. Uh, this morning, I just want to share some things that are on my heart. It's kind of funny, I, I had a, a title on the message that I wanted to speak with you this morning, and as I was driving here, I was driving up South Street in Eagle, and I bet you uh, Brother Imel saw the same thing on his way to church, he probably drove the same way. There's been this dead skunk in the road. It's probably been there four days now, and it's still pretty ripe. And as I was driving there, there by the, the skunk this morning, there were two crows just having a good time. And I looked and I thought, my first thought was, of all the things that you could eat, why would you, why would you want to go near the stink? I think you know where I'm going. Of all the things in your life that you could eat, why do you feed on the stink? So I guess what I'm going to do is I'll just sort of change it. I guess people like titles, and we'll we'll be able to put this on this title, but it's called Feeding on the Stink. I really do believe that the experiences that we have in our life are given to us by God because he wants to teach us things. He wants to reveal things about his nature, about his power, and mostly about how much he loves us. And so I, I'm going to talk a little bit. I don't want, I'm not going to talk about myself too much this morning. I, I do thank you for all your prayers this last week has been Well, the last couple months have been a challenge uh, with my heart, and God's in control, and I just leave it in his hands. And I did cover up the little message on here that says, preach as though it's your last. (laughs) I still think about that all the time. But I, I think the things that we experience in life are can be a positive thing if we use them as God gave them to us. Sometimes the, the things that we share that are bad in life become our darn downfall. And so I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes with you this morning. I, I did have one experience when I was up at the hospital that, that I need to share with you because it's going to prefix 
what I, I want to say. I, maybe you can relate to this, but I probably, the person that's the hardest on me is probably me. And I, I can get some amens on, I know there's some people out there because uh, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. It may be the way we were raised, maybe our parents, just their personality that's been ingrained in us, but I don't like to give myself a lot of latitude. So I, I got some bad news from a doctor, and he, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about, maybe he hadn't prayed about what he told me, but that, I'm not going to focus on that stuff. There, it, challenged, there, it challenged me. And I began to ask myself the question, where are you with God? At this very moment, where are you with God? And do you have peace regardless of what's given to you? And I realized I had but I also felt some self-condemnation. I, I, don't, I didn't want to be a burden to anyone, and I, I didn't really want people up by me, and that's probably why you saw the little note. I just don't want to be a burden. And with all the issues that, that go on in my life, I thought, they must really think that I'm an auto accident waiting to happen. Well, I'm telling you that because that's my psyche. But while I was there, I said what I always say when I'm going through a difficult situation. I said, where's the gold in this? And it just seemed that God led peep one person after another from the hospital into my room. One lady had just lost her daughter-in-law. Another one had lost a son to suicide. And I began to realize that God has a way of directing us. We think it's meant for our hurt. But it's really not only meant for our good, but it's meant for the good of others. But the, the last person that came into my room was the one that I needed the most. I love to minister. I, I love to feel the presence of God flow through me. But this person came in, and he was uh, a chaplain, a friend that, of mine that I'm not really close to at all. I just met him recently. And we talked, and he's taking his CPE training, and I was feeling a little bit spicy, so I started to grade him on his visit and told him, well, this is what you should have done, and are you doing the psychological, are you doing the spiritual, the social valuation for your, 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 your papers that you're writing? And it was sort of lighthearted, but... At the end, uh, this man has had some very serious medical problems himself. And I can't even tell you what faith he is. 
But he said, I have to share something with you that I feel God, I, I have to share with you. God is, I feel, put it on my heart to share with you right at this moment. And he said two things. God has told me to tell you that he loves you. Good. I know that. And the second one is, and this was the hard one, that he's proud of you. Now, out of the mouth speaketh the things of the heart, and the first thing that came from my mouth was a, was a symptom of something that I've been having to wrestle with. I said, are you sure that you read the address on that last one? Because I didn't want to allow myself to hear that. God's proud of you. I, because I didn't feel that I was worthy of that recognition. Which le this is leading me to what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because I'm not the only one that goes through this in their identity in God. We live in a critical world. And we have a, a, an enemy that's the accuser of the brethren. And many of us are dealing with condemnation. It's hard for us to pick up our heads and hold them high and to walk in a manner that, that is worthy of a child of God. In 1 John, the third chapter, verse 18, John writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And then he says this, and he knows everything. Digest that for a moment. If my heart condemns me, we know that God is a greater witness than our heart. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Every one of us has a place of refuge. At least I hope you do. A refuge, if you were to go back and look at it in the dictionary, could, could be referred to as a harbor for a boat. It could be a hospital for a patient. It could be a vacation for someone that's overwhelmed with work. It could be a hobby, a refuge, a place to get away. But let me ask you a question this morning. 
Where do you go from, to find refuge from failure? A refuge from despair? A place that you can go when you have made a mistake? Paul was dealing with this in his time, possibly with himself. He wrote in Romans, the eighth chapter, verse one through four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, notice this, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you see the two laws that are mentioned there? The law of the spirit and the law of sin and death. He has set us free from the latter. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I find within me two members, two laws, the law of life and the law of death. God has set me free. And he has set you free through the blood of Jesus Christ from the latter so that you can enjoy the former. So why live under the old law? There's no condemnation. And many of us yet, we live every day with guilt. We live under the shadow of failure. These things driving us crazy. But I want to remind you that Jesus is a refuge from despair. He is a harbor from discouragement and depression and anxiety and guilt. He is a refuge. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. Some of us live our lives in cognito. We come in with our happy face. And we don't want people to know exactly what's going on in our lives. But God knows everything. And you know what? He loves you anyway. Notice this, and I can say this because Romans, the fifth chapter, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Notice this, there's a colon there. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. While I was living in sin, separate for God, from God, God showed his love for me by dying for me, regardless of my situation. I'll tell you the truth. This morning, I am learning, 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 and I hope you learn this too. I'm learning to stand under the cross. I'm learning to realize that I am covered with the blood of Christ. And it isn't my works that justify me. It's solely by his grace I'm saved, lest I boast. I see that in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's why I can come boldly into his presence. Hebrews 4.16. Notice this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It doesn't say that I approach God when everything's perfect and I don't have a problem. I'm approaching God in my need. I approach him when I'm experiencing trouble. And it's only that God allows that through his grace. I want to tell you that your condemnation is crushing you. You'll need to live with that condemnation. James, the first chapter, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it in it and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be pleased in what he does. That's the perfect law that sets you free. The law of the spirit of life. Again, that's in verse 2 of Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Which law do you live under? Honestly, take a second. Are you truly free? As the scripture says? Or are you living under the self-condemnation, telling yourself that you're not worthy? John 8.36 talks about this. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know Brother Kylie talked a couple weeks ago about empty pews. And it really struck home in me because I um, don't have a great memory, but when it comes to places, I, I can usually picture that better than I can remember names and things. 
And in the back of my mind, I started to look at the pews. And I started to remember the people who sat in different areas on the pews and how those pews are empty. And it just sort of hit. And I, I said, where did they go? And why did they go? And this message started to pound in my subconscious and say, there was a law that they were living under that they could not draw peace from. Because when I come to church and I'm living under the law of the Spirit, I am set free. I have peace and joy. I experience the fruits of the Spirit. But if I live under the law of sin and death and judgment and condemnation, it makes it difficult for me to go on. And I become discouraged. And I try to run from the light. God does become angry with sinners. There's no doubt about it. And you know why he does? Because he loves them. If God hated the sinner, he would just let them go their way. I know that because Hebrews 12 tells me for whom, Hebrews 12 and 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He does these things because he loves us. Not because he's displeased with us as, as children. I remember one time I came home from work and I happened to have one of my children and I won't say who he is. And I've said this before because it's, it's left a lasting impression on me. And I laugh about it now, but at the time, I was sorely displeased. I walked home and I used to change my own oil and I would, I'd leave it in little buckets, you know, like ice cream pails. And, you know, my wife was in the house painting one of our bedrooms and my son decided that he wanted to be useful. And it was good. He wasn't being bad. He wanted to be like mom. So he got a paintbrush and he found my bucket of oil and he began to paint the walls. I was sorely displeased. Did I disown him? Did I beat him? I don't, probably. No, I don't think I did. No, I didn't. I was unhappy with the action, but I loved my son. I was sorely displeased. I removed from him the thing that he was using and took it away. But it's the same way with sin. 
God's displeased with the action, but he loves you. I didn't tell him to pack his bags and move into the neighbor's house. I'm committed to my family. I'm committed to my children. God's committed to you. He's not going to drive you away. He loves you, but he will take away the thing that you're doing because it not only hurts you, but it hurts those that live, that live around you. Well, what is it that condemns us? I have a feeling it's probably our ego and our pride. Now, I'm looking at self-analysis here. Why am I so hard on myself? There, you know, you can be hard on me, but I'm probably harder on myself than you are. I make a mistake, and I'm, I'm preaching 10 sermons to myself. How could you do that? What is the matter with you? And if I look at the source of those thoughts, it probably comes down to my pride. What are people going to think of you? What, what are you doing? Condemnation is given to us from God. Uh, not from God, from the devil. Condemnation is designed to drive you away from God. I'm not worthy. God would not have a thing to do with me. Conviction is given to us by God to drive us back to God. And you need to learn the difference. Condemnation drives me away. I feel not worthy. I can't pray. I can't sing. I can't go to church. I'm not worthy. Friend, that's the law of sin and death that God delivered you from. Why are you living under that law when God delivered you from it? My conviction says, God, I have sinned and I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. But God looks at me and he sees my repentant heart and he doesn't drive me back to the pig pen where I was eating the husk. He says, come back in to the big house. Put, put on the ring of authority. Let's kill the fatted calf. For my son who was lost is now found. The devil places condemnation in you. But you, need, you know what you need to do? You need to talk to the devil about that. I want you the next time you're feeling condemnation and you're opening the devil's mail, tell him this. Devil, let me tell you something. You have no room to point your finger at me because you fell when there wasn't even a devil. You were living in the very throne room of God and you fell. Who are you to point your finger at me? The other thing is, and here I'm preaching to myself and a lot of pastors. 
You don't hear a lot of messages on grace. Because some people are afraid to preach about grace because the world has used grace to stretch into disgrace. In other words, God's grace says that you can live in disgrace. It's, uh, it, it has become for some a scapegoat for loose living. But that wasn't what it was given to us for. Grace was given to us as a bastion of hope for those who are trying to live for God. It's not a justification for sin. It's hope to get over sin. What is my drive in my relationship with God? What is what is the thing that's motivating me? Is it that I'm afraid of hell? Or do I do what I do because I love God and I want to please him and be accepted by him? When that man spoke to me, I, I did feel when he said, God is proud of you, I wanted so much to believe it. But there was that war within my, my mind and my spirit saying, God's not proud of you. But I needed to know he was. Do you accept that in your life? If someone was to come to you, and I'm not even going to mention any names. I was going to call out some names, but I don't even want any references. If God was to come to you and say, I'm proud of you, could you accept that? As much as your spirit and your life needed to hear it, could you accept it? Or are you still living under the law? the old law. Well, I, when he said that to me, I felt the Spirit of God come into my room. And even though I made that statement about trying to reject it through false humility, oh, you probably got the wrong address on that. I needed to hear it. Fathers, mothers, your children need to hear you say that to them. They need to know that you're proud of them and that you accept them. And God says the same thing to us. But there's one thing that sometimes gets in the way of us being able to let loose of condemnation. And I'll give you just a a brief example. David is an unusual character in the Old Testament. He really is. Everybody, we, we had a meeting at uh, Green Lake not long ago, about a month ago, and the speaker was talking about David and how he was not, at the end of his life, a very forgiving man very bitter man. 
And I remember how the rabbi that was in the room got up and he stormed out. And I, I, I thought to my, my first thought was, that was pretty rude. But he didn't want to hear it. Because in his mind, yes, that David was king of Israel. He's a, a major player in Judaism. But when you look at the latter part of David's life, after all the forgiveness he had received from God previously with his sin with Bathsheba and with Uriah, the, the man that he had slain and with the thousands of people that were killed because he numbered the people when God had forbid him to do. After all the forgiveness that he had experienced, his most loyal, faithful, steadfast friend, Joab, had betrayed him when he shed the blood of Abner in a time of, of peace. Joab, to me, when I look at Joab and David, Joab was the best thing in, in David's life outside of God. He was always there. He was responsible, actually, for killing Absalom. Remember that? He knew David's weaknesses, and he always tried to protect David from his own blind spots. And at the end of his life in 1 Kings 2, verse 5 through 7, it says he's speaking to Solomon just before his death. He said, Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his hoar head, his gray head, go down to the grave in peace. In other words, I want you to slay him. I want you to kill Joab. I want you to not bring him down to the grave in peace. I want you to take his life. David, how could you say that? After, after all God's done for you, why couldn't you forgive him? But see, that's the thing that gives the devil the hold on your life. Because someone hurt you. I don't think he used those two things, but I think the thing that hurt him the most was that Absalom, who was the enemy of David, who slot to slay him and humiliate him, was killed by Joab. He just couldn't get over that. And that's how he ended his life. Wasn't long after that he died. And Solomon did, just as David had asked him to do. So let me wrap this up. God's giving you some conviction this morning over your unforgiving heart. But he's not condemning you. If God has given you latitude over your past actions, and for that matter, your current actions, 
Who are you not to let go of the menial things that others have done against you? After all the things in your life that you have done, how is it that, that God has forgiven you for, how is it that you cannot forgive even the smallest things that others have done to hurt you? And let me tell you, when you cannot forgive, it's hard to get away from condemnation. You'll find if you don't learn to forgive, that your joy will be shallow and fleeting, and your peace will be fleeting. Let's go back to Hebrews 4 and 16 one more time. Notice it says, Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of his grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I know in, the, in another version it says in, in a time of trouble, God invites you into his presence, into the throne room to experience his grace when you're in the middle of a battle. Not when you're at peace. All right, let's see. Now I can enter into the presence of God now because, let's see, I, I'm, everything's straight. Uh, so I'm going into the holies of holies. Everything in my life is perfect. No, I come into the throne room of God in my trouble, asking for help. He's tore away the veil so that I can come into his presence and to receive his strength and his guidance and his support. But the devil says to you, you know, brother, you shouldn't be praying because you're a hypocrite. You know those things you've thought. You know those actions that you performed. And God's saying, come in, come in and let me help you. A church isn't designed for the perfect. A church is designed for those that are blemished and broken and torn, who need help. When I come to God, sometimes I come in the worst condition. I don't know where I heard this, but I heard it the other day. Somebody was speaking. And they said, do you know that three times in Scripture it mentions that the Lord Jesus asked God why? And I thought, hmm. Twice in the Gospels and once in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. It mentions that the Messiah in the Old Testament and then the Lord himself, especially at the cross, said, my God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? Ask the question of God, why? And then I said to myself, self, why is it that an omniscient God dwelling in a human body would ask a question of himself? Did God not know? Did Christ not know what was happening? Did he not know that God was holy and that sin could not dwell in his presence? And then I got to thinking, well, maybe it was that God wanted us to realize it's not wrong for us to ask him why. 
But it is wrong for us not to say the same thing that followed, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will be done, but thine be done. I can wonder why, and it's not a sin. But if my heart is right, I surrender to purpose and to the will of God for my life. That's why Paul said, I give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God concerning me. Why would I give thanks in all things? How can all things work together for the good? That's another scripture, Romans 8. Because God, in his wisdom, brings forth the good from the bad. Let me show you another example. Peter. His denial of Christ separated him from Christ. When he betrayed Christ at his trial, he ran away. He ran as far away from the house as Caiaphas that he could. He fled because of his own self-condemnation. He couldn't get over his actions. Matter of fact, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and I think someone preached this not long ago, but I'd heard this too. He said, remember to tell Peter that I'm coming. Tell all the disciples, but remember especially to tell Peter. Because Peter did not feel like he was a disciple anymore. Because his condemnation told them that he had betrayed the Lord and he could no longer be part of the twelve. That's why condemnation is a terrible disease. It's a terrible law to live under. And here we go back to the empty pews. So he fled from the place and he went back to what he was familiar with, to the boat, to his fishing. And when a person that's living under condemnation and hurt and unforgiveness does these things, he usually takes others with him. And the rest of the disciples went with them back into the boat, back into where it all started, because condemnation spreads like a disease, like smallpox. John 21, verse 15, so when Jesus comes to find Peter and his disciples, he allows them to recognize his resurrection. And it says, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. And he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, notice this the third time, Lord, you knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. 
Think of that for a second. I betrayed you. I was afraid of your accusers, but I still loved you. I never stopped loving you. You know that I love you, and the Lord knows that you love him. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Well, that was a good lesson for Peter to learn because he was reunited with Christ. He found out that God could bring him forth from condemnation and from the law of sin and death that had become his curse back into the law of the spirit of life or the law of freedom. And you know why that was important? Why Peter went through that? Peter was a spontaneous, outspoken, judgmental guy. He spoke his heart before his mind oftentimes would think. But Peter learned a lesson through his denial that affected the whole church. See, the things that you suffer through not only affect your life, but it affects how you deal with other people. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.36 mentions, or Acts the second chapter mentions that he preached a convicting message. You've killed the Lord of glory. You're responsible, and you did it with wicked hands. Let's go back, and let's see if we can bring up Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Isn't that what Peter was experiencing just a few days earlier? Wasn't he experiencing the same condemnation that these same people were? Wasn't he the one that denied him, but the Lord allowed him to come back into the fellowship and the fold of God? It made it easier for Peter to forgive these people because God, just a few days earlier, had forgiven him. And better yet, he'd forgiven himself. And that, that's a whole other major thing. Can you forgive yourself? And of course, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of the sins, and you shall receive the gift of the law of liberty, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that's what it, the spirit of, the, of life that releases you from the spirit of the law in sin and of condemnation. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus said, I'm getting right to the very end here of my thoughts. It says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men one in, went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this what is he? This publican. 
I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not even lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. The Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee was suffering from pride, the publican was suffering from condemnation. But when he came to Christ and he humbled himself, he went home justified. In other words, he goes home free where the Pharisee goes home lost. And in Psalm 61 too, the psalmist writes, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I was getting ready to walk out the door this morning, and uh, I happened to grab a magazine that happened to be sitting on the phone stand. And this verse was, was written on a plaque on the front of this magazine. And I felt like this was a message not only to me, but something that I should share with you this morning. Joshua, the first chapter, verse 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus loves you. Jesus is proud of you. Don't live under condemnation. Live under the spirit of life, of the law of life and liberty. Because condemnation will destroy you and will drive you away from God. And if your heart's condemning you, remember God is greater than your heart. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.